Good morning, FCC family. Good to see you here today. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And while you're doing that, Sam, why don't you zoom out with the camera? And I want, uh, I want everybody to, everybody that's here, wave and say hi to the Facebook world. And Sam, if you want to zoom, you can uh, pan a little bit there if you want to. Uh, we have less than 10 people here. Uh, this morning, but we got some rebels who would not be contained at their homes, and uh, they've come out to uh, to worship with us today. And it's good to have them here. It's good to have uh, have some warm bodies in the congregation. Although it's not very warm, uh, it's a uh, I don't you can't tell, of course, but it's a little bit cool here in the sanctuary uh, today. Nancy's got on one and a half jackets, as is her custom, and Dave Morang says, "Feels good to me." All right. Matthew chapter 5, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll read some scripture. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for what you've given us. Uh, we thank you for um, the comfort that you give. We thank you for your word. Help us to learn from it this morning. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. No matter what is said, you, Holy Spirit, be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, satisfied, filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we're going to be looking at verse 4 uh, today. There's a lot of hurting and evil in the world. Uh, it's easy to look at the world and look at the news and deduce that people hurt a lot. And it's very easy even to get very indignant about it uh, yourself. There are a lot of people who don't believe in God or refuse to believe in God uh, or even if they think that in the back of their mind there might be a God, they are very angry at God because they look at the world and they see all the evil and all the hurting, and uh, they just wonder why. They wonder why. Um, there was a there was a very good quote uh, that I I, I uh, heard from a from a, a politician, and I won't say the name of the politician because. Uh, that will immediately make half of you discredited or, or, or think badly of it. So I'm just going to say it, and if you, if you are curious, you can look up who said it. Uh, and this, was, uh, this is what he said. He said, Some people see things as they are, and they say, Why? I dream dreams that never were, and say, Why not? And that is a, a very good quote, I think. Um, why can't the world be better? Why can't all of... Uh, why can't all of the pain stop? Why can't God intervene? Okay, uh, and and so I understand that, and I I think that that's a a very good question. It's a legitimate question, and if you empathize, and a lot of people 
have a very strong empathy uh, in their heart. And if you empathize so much with the people, the hurting people of the world, you actually, some people will take and, and carry that as their own burden themselves. Their empathy will drive them to be so heavy laden with all the sadness and evil and pain in the world that it can really drag you down. Uh, there's a, there's a certain sense in which, in which we must empathize with people in the world. We have to care. We have to understand their plight. But if you start putting all of that on yourself, wow, can you really get to a very low and a very, very dark place. It can also make you extremely angry. Uh, there are people I know who, it's not that they, uh, they empathize with people. I don't want to say that they don't, but when they see uh, the hurting people of the world, what they first immediately want to do is say, who did this? And I want to find that person. And I want to visit all of my anger, all of my wrath onto that person. I've done that. Uh, and I, and sometimes if you don't know who it is, you just sort of pick a person and you fixate and you say, that's the person. That's what you, that's, that's the person I want to, to bear the, the, the punishment for all of that is happening in the world. And if I don't check myself, my mind can go some, to some very dark places very quickly. Uh, and so I have to, I have to, have to put a check on myself. And maybe you can relate to that. I don't know. But it's even more difficult sometimes when you get very personal about it and you start projecting, uh, and <laughs> no, let me take that back. When you start thinking about the things that you have done, the things that you have done, and when you think about hurting people and you think, you know what, I might be the reason for their pain. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, the very first time I ever hurt somebody, um, and I realized that I was the one that hurt him. Uh, and it was this kid that lived across the street from me. He was over in my backyard, uh, and we were playing whatever we were playing, and I had a little toy rifle. And I don't know if it was in in intentional or accidental. I was less than six, probably. So I'll go ahead and say maybe it was intentional, uh, but it could have also been accidental. But I swung the thing around, and I hit him in the head with it. And he started crying, and he went home. And I remember standing there saying, oh, I hurt him very badly. Uh, and so if you know who you are, I apologize. I don't know if I ever apologized to you, but uh, his name was Sean, and I, I apologize, Sean, uh, for, for that. Uh, but that was the first time that I ever realized I made somebody feel pain. I hurt somebody, and I felt, uh, and I felt guilty about that. And of course, that wasn't the last time that I ever hurt somebody. I uh, I have a sister, and um, <laughs> I remember uh, doing things to her that were not so kind. Uh, but as I've grown up, you know what? It actually is uh, hard to admit, but has there? when was this time that I stopped causing other people pain? When was this time when, I, when it was just no more? I now do not have the capacity in me to make anybody cry or to make anybody feel bad. That actually hasn't happened. And the older I get, the more I start looking back on things that happened 10, 15 years ago, and I say, you know what? I think that that might not have been the nicest thing to do. That might not have been the nicest way to treat that person. That might not have been the nicest thing to say to that person. Uh, in Celebrate Recovery, there is this step where you go back and make amends uh, for, for past wrongs. 
And that is a very difficult step, but it is a very important step uh, in somebody's recovery that they recognize the things that they have done and they go back and at the very least apologize for it. If there's anything else you can do, maybe you should do that. But at the very least, go back to somebody and say, you know what, I recognize that I hurt you and I'm very, very sorry. Um, I read a, a meme on Facebook a while back that was a little bit disturbing. Um, and it said this, somebody's therapist knows all about you. <clears throat> it's like, well, I certainly hope not. But it could be true. Uh, if, if you have a loved one that you've had difficulty with, and you know if you've got kids, if your kids have ever gone to therapy, the first thing they're going to ask you is about your mom and dad. So chances are, uh, if you know somebody who's gone to therapy and they were very close to you, it could, it's possible. It's possible that that has played out in your life. It sounds like a joke, but it's not a joke. And when you really start thinking about it, it's not funny at all. So I don't know about you. Do you think somebody's therapist knows all about you? Have you ever caused another person pain? Do you think back over your life and you think about uh, situations or certain people or, and your actions or your lapses in judgment and you really regret it? I shouldn't have done that. That right there, that was the turning point or that was the turning point in somebody else's life. And uh, it's difficult for me to think about that. And it's difficult for me to admit that I was the person that did somebody else wrong or I was the person that caused somebody else pain. Uh, now... The fact is, I hope that to a certain degree, everybody feels a little bit of that. Because if you don't, that means you think you're a perfect person or you've deluded yourself into thinking that, no, 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 I'm good. I've only ever blessed somebody. And that's really not true. I've never met anybody that claimed perfection, of course, but I have met a few people that really downplayed their actions. It's not that they would say that they that they're a perfect person, but they would say this other person they really got a, a bad attitude towards me, and you know there were things that happened a long time ago. But uh, that person was just too sensitive; they just took it too personally. I really didn't mean it like that. They were they were just far too sensitive, or uh, they were they were very easily offended, or they got what was coming to them. They deserved it. They deserved it. Something like that. And I don't know about you. I don't know if that sounds familiar in your life. I don't know if you feel like I've hurt so many people and I feel terrible. Or if you're the other kind of person who says, no, no, no. Uh, anybody who feels bad because of my words or actions, they either got what was coming to them or they were just too sensitive about it. I don't know. In our study of the Beatitudes, Jesus uh, is really talking about people who are well positioned to hear the Sermon on the Mount or the rest of the Beatitudes or the Gospel itself. Are you well positioned to hear the message of God. There are certain people, there are certain people in the world who are not well positioned. Last week we talked about the poor in spirit, the poor in spirit. Now those people are blessed because they are well positioned to receive and to hear and to respond properly to the invitation of the kingdom of God. Uh, but there are other people here, the people who believe they are rich in spirit, very spiritual people, or they're at least middle class in spirit and they have nothing to beg Jesus for. They have nothing to beg God for. Because they're good enough and they're smart enough and doggone it, people like them. Um, those people are not well positioned to hear the gospel. And in this week when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, um, I think there's a possibility that if we look on the, the converse of that, it'll be people who say, 
I've never done anything wrong or anything I've done wrong wasn't really that bad. Those people might not be very well positioned to hear the Sermon on the Mount or uh, to receive the gospel. Now let's look a a little bit deeper uh, at, at this statement, okay? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's actually not a lot of background material for this. Uh, it's not that Matthew used or Jesus used some very intricate and, and special word for mourn. It's pretty much equal to the English word mourn. Uh, so all we really have to do is think deeply, a little more deeply about the idea of mourning. And the, the fact is, that's hard for me to do. Uh, I have lost some people in my life that I was close to, but they were mostly grandparents who were 90 years old. It wasn't shocking when they passed on. We all, uh, we all knew that they were nearing the end of the race. I haven't left, uh, I haven't lost father or mother or spouse or brother or sister or child or anything, anyone that close to me. So the fact is, uh, if I want to think deeply about mourning, if I want to know what mourning means, I have to observe other people, other people who have lost father and mother, other people who have lost spouse or brother or sister or child. And in this congregation, there are many people who have lost all of those very special uh, close relationships here. And uh, so I'm going to make a couple of observations. First of all, I'm going to uh, I'm going to talk about funeral services um, because mourning actually exists as a cultural event. And if you uh, if you study cultures around the world, you'll understand a little bit about uh, about mourning in their culture. Uh, one of the first strange, uh, the very first strange experiences I had with mourning uh, was in West Africa in a country called Ivory Coast. I was there uh, to study. Uh, it, I was in college and I was studying. Uh, there was a class uh, anthropology and for missionaries, that's a very, very important um, class to take. While we were there, our teacher, who was a missionary, um, found out that uh, in the area there was a funeral that was going to happen. He said, we got to take advantage of this. we got to go. You, you really need to see this. Uh, so the class, we all, we all went uh, to this funeral. And it was, a, it was a very different kind of funeral. It was a very different... Uh, uh, setting. It was outside, uh, and the person wasn't laying in a casket. They were more or less propped up uh, by a tree. And all it was an old woman, and all of her possessions were uh, around her, and they had professional mourners that were there to cry and wail. And there were a lot of musicians, and they were doing different kinds of dances as part of the, uh, the funeral service. And it was a very interesting thing to say. This is how you honor. This is how you honor the dead in their culture. You, you show... Uh, all their whole life's accumulation, and you dance certain dances, and you you uh, um, cry certain kinds of cries, and you, you sing maybe certain kinds of funeral songs. But it was a very loud event. It was not a very quiet event. Um, it, it, same thing in China. Uh, I, I was in um, I was on this one campus in China, and there was a a funeral going on there. And let me tell you, it's very different from the United States. In the United States, at a funeral. Everybody is as quiet and somber and solemn as they can be, at least uh, for the average maybe New England or average white person funeral. Um, they're, they're, you're very calm and very solemn, and people cry, of course, but, but even sometimes people would wear sunglasses so you, you couldn't see everybody cry. You want to contain and be as solemn as you can. But uh, at this place where I was in China, and it's not that China is the same all over. They have different regions and different uh, uh, cultures in, in the regions. But in this region, the idea was you keep everybody awake for three or four days. 
and you play uh, this uh, Shanxi opera music, which is, whew, it, uh, uh, it, uh, it hurts the ears, okay? I'll just go ahead and say that. But you make as much of a fuss as you can. You disturb as much as you can. Instead of being as quiet and solemn as you can, you, you uh, disturb and make as much noise as you can. That's how you honor uh, somebody who has died. In our, in our country these days, this is what I have found since being a pastor. Uh, I believe we have pushed religion and religious ceremony so far out of our culture that I have found that even these days, a lot of people do not know how to have a funeral service. They don't even want to call it a funeral service for one thing. And I understand the idea of celebration of life. I, I like that idea too. But when I meet with people, they have absolutely no idea what to do. It used to be a fairly strictly uh, regimented thing. This is the ceremony. This is how you do it. Uh, but so many people I know these days have no idea what to do or how it's supposed to go. And part of my job as clergy has become to teach people what a funeral event uh, should look like. I've even thought about preaching about it. What what should a funeral look like? Except that that's it's not prescribed in the Bible. It would be very extra biblical. Our, our, our Western Christian culture has invented this thing. Um, and I think it's good to have some kind of a ceremony, some kind of a, um, a proper thing that you do so that you feel like you know that I have done my duty. Instead of saying, uh, death has just completely snuck up on me and I have no idea how to honor, um, my, my uh, deceased relative, my deceased loved one. Anyway. People sometimes just don't know how to mourn. And so when a death comes, the funeral service can be very empty and not very much healing to it because there might not be very much meaning attached to it. Besides the, the, the funeral experience, though, what I have observed about mourning uh, for people is this strange dichotomy where it's sort of this event, you have the funeral, you have the burial, and the next day, what do you do now? Life is supposed to just sort of carry on, except it can never carry on like it was before. I often uh, also feel like there are people that have this very strong ache and a burden, and yet there's an emptiness with it as well. Uh, emotion can pour out at any moment, and yet much of the the rest of the time, People feel nothing. And so mourning is a very, very strange thing. Now, when we talk about mourning in this passage, I think that Jesus is, uh, you know, I want to take him literally before I take him metaphorically. When he talks about mourning, he is looking at all of the death that has entered the world because of sin. And so I don't know who you mourn for or who you have mourned for, but the fact that there is sin and evil in the world. That is what took a loved one away. E even if they weren't murdered or something terrible happened like that, uh, even if it's just what we would call the natural life process, that was not created to be the natural life process. It was never supposed to happen that way. Death was not supposed to enter the world. So that is one of the things about death and mourning is that even if people can see it coming, it's still a shock. Oftentimes it's a shock when it happens, when it was uh, not expected, when it was premature, when it was due to some sort of accident, it's a shock. But even sometimes when you can see it coming down the road, the moment of it, the reality of it can still be uh, quite a shock. 
And if there had been no sin in the world, these people, these loved ones, would never have been lost to you. And that is sort of the literal way of looking at, uh, at this. But the promise of Jesus is that um, those who have experienced this morning will be comforted. There is comfort for you. You know, when Christ came, there was a lot of theological um, questions. There were a lot of theological questions out there, and that hasn't changed. Uh, um, uh, in Christianity, there's still a lot of theological question that people had. But at the time when he came, the one of the great theological questions was, is there an afterlife? Is there a resurrection? These people who have passed on, is that truly the end for them? And Jesus, in making this statement, is making a theological statement that uh, there is an afterlife. There is something, uh, there, is, there is some comfort for those who are mourning. And I would give you that same comfort, is that in Christ, the afterlife is full of love. The afterlife, uh, especially if your loved ones are in Christ, that afterlife is full of absolute love. And even if you're the only believer in your family, I will tell you that you have an eternity to look forward to with loved ones surrounding you. You will have a forever family together there. Uh, so if you have suffered the loss and this disconnection uh, with people in your life, the comfort that Jesus offers is that you have an eternity of being surrounded by people who love you ahead of you. Look forward to that. Let that bring you comfort. But of course, very few theologians think that this is really just talking about um, physical death and dying and the promise of afterlife. They almost always link it to sin, mourning for sin. And I would say that um, the, way I, the way I introduced this sermon, yes, of course, that is what I'm talking about. There's sin and evil in the world. There's sin and evil in your life. Uh, and that has caused you pain. And you, um, you heard about it when you think about evil done to you, evil done to other people, and evil that you have done to other people. Uh, and so if you walk around with a terrible heaviness and guilty conscience, uh, Jesus is saying to you, I have comfort for you. Uh, this morning is natural. It's part of the good news, though. Uh, oftentimes people will say, in order for you to embrace the good news, you have to first recognize and um, face the bad news. The bad news is you have sin and evil in your life. You have sinned against God. You have sinned against other people. And so part of, uh, part of coming to faith in Christ and part of receiving that, that forgiveness in Christ is recognizing, recognizing the evil that has been done in your life and by you personally. Um, some of the great, in the, in the great awakenings, uh, second great awakening somewhere around that time. Uh, and I looked and looked for this this week, but I couldn't find who, uh, who it was, um, but there was a, an evangelist that would go from town to town, and when he would start preaching the gospel, if he felt like people there were not mourning for their sins enough, he'd pack up and leave. And they'd ask him, no, 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 stay, please, keep staying. He said, nope, you are not sorry for your sins enough. How, how, how could I possibly present the gospel to you? You might refuse it and add to your own sins. So he was looking for that mourning in people's lives before he would present the gospel to them. John Wesley, uh, who started the Methodist movement, he, when he had his revival meetings, he would put a bench up at the very front. And uh, my, the church I grew up in had them, and we called them altars, but they were originally called the mourner's bench. 
the mourners mentioned. So while he is preaching to the whole crowd, uh, and, and while he is helping them recognize their sin, uh, those who, uh, who felt the overwhelming emotion of the sin, uh, of recognizing the sin that they had committed in their life, uh, they could come down to the mourners bench and weep together for their sins. Weep together because they had sinned so much against God. Um, and then of course the good news follows that. And they may sound very extreme, but the fact is, it's true. I, I get the perspective from up here. All of you in, on a Sunday morning are looking this direction, but I'm looking back at uh, uh, 70, 80, 90 faces out there, and I can tell you this. There are people, there's no bench, there's no, there's no weeping bench up here, there's no mourner's bench up here, but I see people mourning. I see people weeping. I see people who are being convicted by the Holy Spirit of all that has happened in their life. And I will tell you this right now. You, if that is you, you are well positioned to hear the gospel. If you've mourned for your sins, Jesus is really ready to come and comfort you. But even more than just you, let me ask you this. Do you weep for a world without Christ? Do you weep for, do you know people in, in your life who are wrecking themselves with sin and evil and bad decisions, and it drives you to tears? Do you think about all the hurting people in shelters and camps around the world, and do you wonder what will ever become of these people? Do you see images of people praying to false gods and you worry for their eternity? Do you mourn for the eternal loss of lives and souls who have never heard the gospel? If so, Jesus thinks that you are well-positioned to be part of the solution to the world's problems. Of course, he himself is the solution to the world's problems, and he's done the heavy lifting on the cross. He has paid for everyone's sin, not us, and not, we don't just get, uh, we don't earn our salvation by just feeling bad. He pays for our forgiveness. But the church is supposed to be part of taking, of, of taking God's plan to redeem all of creation to every place on the planet. And so if you mourn that life seems so cheap in our world, take comfort. For Jesus has shown us just how much he values the lives of people. What we sell cheaply, he buys back at great cost. So Jesus cries for the world too. And he raises up neighbors, pastors, missionaries, anyone who calls him Lord to be part of comforting a world in mourning. And so I say to you today, brother or sister, that Jesus has a ministry for you. Wherever you see a need that makes you mourn, I dare say that Jesus is calling you to minister right there. Do you weep for the children of Gardner in Kennebec County? Maybe you should be part of our children's ministry. Do you weep for those who are held in bondage by addiction? Maybe you should be part of Do you weep for the poor? Maybe you should work in our food pantry or any of the other poverty ministries in the area. Do you weep for a neighbor who has never heard the gospel? Well, maybe you should beg God for the chance to invite that person to sit around the fire or sit around the table with you long enough that the conversation can ultimately turn right towards Jesus and right towards the gospel. There is a mourning, hurting world, and it's waiting for the only, it is waiting for the comfort that only the gospel can give. Would you deny that to them? 
No, I don't think you would. So let me give you some comfort. If uh, the sin in your life ought to cause you to mourn, if you have never mourned because of your sin, then I think that maybe you haven't considered it enough. And so consider it. Consider just what it means to sin against God and to sin against other people. You may have justified yourself too much. You may not have considered the hurt that you've caused other people. But even if you think I'm just pushing, pushing you to feel bad, let me affirm that I don't want you to push, to push you to some sort of grief that has no comfort behind it. On the night uh, that Jesus was arrested, there were two disciples that really betrayed Jesus quite badly. And they went in different directions after their sin against him. One of them um, went all the way to self-destruction. His grief, his mourning for his sin, the realization of what he did pushed him all the way to self-destruction. The other one wept bitterly and waited, wept bitterly and waited, and eventually God reached out to him and God restored him. His grief didn't drive him to self-destruction. And whatever grief you may feel over your sins, I hope it doesn't drive you to self-destruction either. Don't go to the dark place. Go to the light. Go to the light. Jesus is there ready to forgive you. Jesus has paid the price for our sins, and all that it remains is for us to bring our broken hearts to Jesus. He will receive you back as his child. And then... You can be part of comforting this sinful, broken world. You'll have a testimony of what God has done for you in your life. And you can see all of the mourning that is going on around you, and you can tell the people, this is why I dance. This is why my soul dances. My soul used to mourn in grief, but now my soul dances in worship to the Lord. Let me tell you how that got turned around. And you can be a part of turning a... Uh, an evil, hurting, mourning world into a world where there are places and there are people who have joy amidst all of it. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you that you saw us hurting. You saw us mourning. You saw our grief, and you brought a plan to turn all of that grief into comfort and even joy. We thank you, Lord, that you turn things around. Lord, help us to see our sin realistically. And Lord, help us to see our salvation in a new light because of that. Help us, Lord, to be people who worship you because we realize more and more just what you've done for us. And then, Lord, help us to be these great ambassadors, these great missionaries, these great carriers of the gospel and help us to find people who are mourning. Show us who they are, Lord, and let us give them the comfort of the gospel. Give us the courage to bring joy and comfort to a world that is crying. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, good to see all of you. Remember, come by and get your little, uh, your little Mother's Day gift, um, and we'll see you later, okay? Bye.